0: Welcome to the IAOMS podcast series, Physician Wellness. In this podcast, I would like to introduce you to Mark Lesser. Mark was co-founder and CEO of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute and on the team that developed the Search Inside Yourself program with Google. He has led multi-day trainings at Google, SAP, Disney, and Fortune 500 companies throughout the world. He was also the founder and CEO for 15 years of Brush Dance, a highly successful, highly acclaimed publishing company with worldwide distribution. Mark has an MBA degree from New York University and is the author of four books, including Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Mastery Kitchen, and Less, Accomplishing More by Doing Less. Welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for being here
1: with us today. Thanks, Deborah. Nice to see you.
0: Nice to see you too. So let's start by talking about your latest book, which is Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader. Um, And you talk about lessons from Google and a Zen monastery kitchen, um, which sound like really interesting case studies. I wanted to hear a little bit more about them, but first, can you um, go back to um, Google days and really talk about how mindfulness became such a powerful practice at Google and the positive impact that it's had on the company.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. On the one hand, it it seems like it was um, a long time ago, but also it seems like it was just yesterday. In fact, it was like 2006, 2007 that uh, I I got tapped and pulled in to a very small team to develop a mindfulness and emotional intelligence program at, at Google. And, and it was in- incredibly, um, exciting and intense time. I think, you know, a, 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 lot of, um, a lot of my life, I feel like has been translating, you know, what's, what's called mindfulness, right? So this mysterious practice of mindfulness, um, and it, it, in in some way, t- to me, it's um, it's the practice of being being human, of bringing our full humanity into whatever we're doing. And I think, in in some way, that was what was uh, so kind of earth earth breaking or uh, important at Google, where you have some you know super smart Google engineers. Uh, a high, highly intense, uh, stressful I- environment. And in some way, what we were teaching was the practice of stopping, the practice of actually uh, taking off. They used, in fact, this was language that they introduced me to at Google was uh, taking off our game faces. Uh, so in some way, being able to step out of your role and being able to be more human and to, to notice what you're feeling, to notice what you're thinking, to actually listen, to, to connect more deeply with yourself and with each other. And, and, and I feel like what we did at Google was we, we created a safe environment where people could be more human, where people could, uh, you know, kind of delve into their own uh, uh, curiosity about about what they were feeling and thinking, and what others were feeling and feeling and thinking, and in some way, um, I, I, I like to say, in this mindfulness work, I my, my aspiration is to make it uh, highly accessible, right? To de- mm-hmm. demystify it, and at the same time, to keep the depth that I think is involved in these. Um, these practices and traditions. So even, you know, even saying the word listening, well, that seems simple, right? We all we all know how to listen and we all do it all the time. And yet, and yet like to listen without our usual biases and judgments and to really listen, to really listen, is a practice. And it's a very, it's a very powerful practice and one that, uh, not so, not so easy.
0: That, that is for sure. And what does that look like from a practical standpoint, whether it's at Google or inside another company or a healthcare organization where, um, these surgeons may practice what, what does a mindful, uh, senior leadership team or, or team at all look like? What, what, it, how does that manifest itself?
1: Yeah, I think in part it manifests itself in a, in a couple of ways. I think, I think one part of it is kind of alluding to a phrase that I used earlier. It's about starting with creating a safe space. So I think it, I think it requires a container, a container where we are being curious, where it's, it's not about, so like, um, even if I'm if I'm teaching meditation or mindfulness, I need to remind people, especially leaders, especially senior people, especially really smart people, this is not a competition. Uh, imagine I'm not that you don't have to be the best meditator, the best breath counter, the best listener. Like you actually need to put that aside, and this might be again not so easy because we're so many of us are so trained and there is some benefit right there's some benefit to aspiring for expertise and aspiring to be the best but in this realm it gets in the way in the realm of our full humanity in the realm of listening in the realm of connecting to another person and and so so much so much i think of leadership and so much of being, you know, I think more and more people who are being trained as whether you're being trained as a doctor or you're being trained as a business person, you know, the art of connecting, the art of of listening. So creating a safe space, I think, is the first part. And then, um, and then there's creating some structures and some opportunities. So one of the, for, for people to actually practice with listening. So one of the things that I often do, Um, in, in trainings with teams or with, with groups is to get people into uh, breakout rooms. And this used to be in person. Now it's most seems like it's all, you know, uh, online and to, to say, to experiment that one person is going to speak for, you know, a short amount of time, maybe it's three minutes and, and the, and one, and the other person is literally just gonna listen without asking questions, without interrupting and, but also to invite the person who is speaking to let go of needing to be impressive, Uh, Mm. let go. And in fact, to imagine, imagine as a speaker, saying something that is maybe new to you and surprising to you that you're willing, it's a kind of willingness to let go of our usual scripts. I mean, we tend, again, especially, you know, very successful people, part of what gets you to be successful is to be highly scripted, highly prepared, to say the right thing at the right time, to look smart, to look prepared. So there's something about uh, this, this realm of of mindfulness practice to to let go of that or to attempt the and but and part of letting go of that is noticing that you're doing it right so often it's so underneath our radar that we don't even notice now um, part of this not noticing can apply to we don't notice what we're actually feeling we don't notice you know what's really happening uh, with our own, our own emotions, our own feelings, our own aspirations, that that we've been very, very well-schooled and trained to put all that aside, thinking that that's going to benefit us. And it has to, in some way, but we're also finding that it has tremendous limitations. And, and oddly enough, I think this was partly why mindfulness, uh, mindfulness, meditation, emotional intelligence became so successful and sought after in places like Google. And now I think in uh, leadership programs and companies around the world to see that, you know, a big part of leadership is the ability to be present, to be fully present, not just as a particular role, not just as a, as a smart, you know, um, engineer or, or salesperson, but to, but to be, but to come, uh, to come with a kind of authenticity, to come with a kind of care that you actually care about, uh, other people. Like what a, what a novel idea, right. For the, for the business world or, or, or for doctors even, you know, that, that of course, you know, and, and the, and the see that actually, the more that we actually care, uh, the better we are as doctors, the better we are as uh, leaders. I, you know I prior to my work uh, at Google, I started and I started and ran this greeting card company uh, for for 15 years and I, I consider myself a professional quote collector. and um, I have feel like I have my quote of the day or my quote of the week and 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 right now, in this context, it's coming up as, and I think this is something that the poet David White said, where he said the 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 antidote to exhaustion isn't rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. And oh, I love that. And and I think and it's and I'd say it's not just the antidote to exhaustion, I'd say it's the antidote to disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, that the mm-hmm. antidote to disconnection. Is wholeheartedness to, to, whole, to, and, and wholeheartedness means, I think, uh, where we are much more, um, aligned, this alignment of our, of our speech, our actions, our emotions, our, our deep, you know, and, and our hearts that we really bring our wholeheartedness into our work.
0: So I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a minute in that. Um, many times what I will hear in training is that people will say, well, I want to be that way, but the rest of my team doesn't subscribe to that or those at the top don't. Right. So therefore, I don't feel like I can. And, you know, typically my response would be, well, you're not off the hook. <laughs> you can still do, you know, X, Y, and Z, What, whatever, you know, whatever leadership uh, skill we're talking about. But how would you... How would you address that with mindfulness and emotional intelligence? So if a surgeon that's listening feels like they want to be very transparent and very real in a conversation, but perhaps that other person is not where they are with it, how does that, what does that look like? And how do you get through situations like that?
1: Yeah, no. And I hear this a lot. I mean, one of the, especially uh, I'll be doing a training and, and there'll be this, you know, everyone in the room often will just really get it, and there'll be this kind of you know insight and aha about how valuable this work. And then someone, well, what what about the people who are not here? Many ways I could respond to that, but I think this this work isn't about being nice or soft and making yourself you know being stepped on or or being vulnerable in a you know in in a. In a not very effective way, this work is about being effective, and there is no downside to being a more effective listener, right? So, to even even if it's like what you were saying, uh, you know, working with a difficult coworker or or working with the difficult boss or supervisor, this work will serve you well by by not being so triggered, uh, by, by difficult situations, by difficult emotions coming at you, and will give you, in some way, this work, I, I think, is all about developing more choice, and more freedom, and a wider repertoire of how to respond, and um, being able to empathize a little bit more even with a difficult person. And, you know, and you might, you know, you you might have it as your pet project that you're going to change these other people, that you're that you are going to somehow help them uh be better listeners or more and, and there may be and, and that might that that could very well happen. Uh but I think it happens mostly by how you show up. Right. So so at some point, you know, you're your difficult coworker or, or difficult boss might say, you know, like what happened to you? Like you're, I noticed you're, you seem happier or you seem not as stressed or, or you're not fighting with me and responding to me or reacting to me. And what, what's, what's with you <laughs> um, now right? You know, that, that may or may not happen, but, but again, I think um, it can only It can own aware developing your own awareness, developing your repertoire of tools, practices, strategies, listening ability. Um, I I I don't think there's any downside. There's no there's no downside. Uh, You know now. I mean, I'd say one downside that maybe this is a downside. I do sometimes notice that that this work is about waking up and becoming more aware, and what. What sometimes happens in companies, for example, is you find out that this is a really toxic environment that you've managed to ignore. And, and you've been going home every night stressed and um, and complaining about what a horrible workplace it is. And waking up to that can be jolting to the system. Yeah. Now, sometimes, you know, you then can skillfully help shift your culture and help shift your environment. And sometimes you realize that ain't happening and you realize it's time to move on. That happens. Absolutely. That, that happens too. So there are, there are some, there, not nothing is risk-free. So yes, there are some risks to developing one's awareness, uh, but the kinds of that, that kind of, well, what about the people who aren't doing it? That, that's, um, um, Uh, there's no risk there, as far as I can tell.
0: Well, and one of the things I've always appreciated about emotional intelligence is that, you know, first, the lens is on you, the self-awareness piece, and then it's the social awareness piece. So um, I think it can be really helpful to be aware that the other person is unaware, (laughs) so to speak, you know?
1: Yeah. And I I do think, you know, I've been emphasizing, I I feel like in what I've been saying, maybe the the presence part of it, the awareness part of it, but I'd also say there's a whole a whole slew of skills, tools, and practices that then come out of of this kind of uh, awareness and present. For example, you know how to have meaningful conversations, how to have difficult conversations. Yeah, um, you know how to um, how to communicate. Uh, in a way that is more connecting, uh, more inspiring. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's, there's you know, h- how to give, um, how to more skillfully do performance reviews, how to more skillfully yeah. give feedback, how to more skillfully receive feedback. So there's a, there's lots of um, a variety of tools, skills, and practices, I think, that also uh, come out of this 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 big bucket that we call you know, mindfulness or mindfulness and emotional intelligence.
0: Absolutely. So um, your latest book, Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, can you give us maybe two or three, um, you know, sort of in Reader's Digest version of what those
1: might be? Yeah, well, let me rattle off. I like... Okay, uh, sure. Well, just, I I feel like in in some way, uh, these practices to me are both, uh, very practical, but also quite poetic. so there's a poetry in in the these seven practices are love the work, do the work, don't be an expert, connect to your pain, connect to the pain of others, depend on others, and keep making it simpler and and maybe just in, in response to your your request, I'll, I'll just say a, a couple words about maybe the first, practice and and maybe the the last two the first practice is love the work which which means to once you enter into this stream of developing your awareness and being a better listener and and developing more uh self-knowledge it's it's loving that practice even when it hurts (laughs) <laughs> so so, you know, it's it's loving the work of seeing our blind spots, loving the work of noticing when we're not listening, when we are avoiding conflict or avoiding difficulties. So this is this is the work, right? And it's loving, it's loving the work of building our awareness. And also I'd say and, and loving the work of of helping others, being the work of being of service. This is what I mean by the work. Um, and the last two practices, uh, you know, the sixth practice is depend on others. And, and this, I think is so, you know, so critical. (laughs) I I remember once, uh, getting a call from the, the, um, the head of, uh, the, the head of heart surgery at a, at a Kaiser facility who called me out of the blue and said, um, we really, we doctors here at Kaiser, we really need this mindfulness and emotional intelligence. He said, "Doing, doing surgeries that's easy. Uh, working with other doctors that's that's hard. Uh, we need, we need this. So it's this this help in how to realize that we, like when we realize that we are interconnected and, and how much we depend on each other." And and again, so much of, so much of depending on each other is this, you know, being able to create safe, psychologically safe spaces and having the skills, having the skills to meet, uh, to meet difficult situations. And the last practice, um, you know, keep making it simpler. It's a hard one. This is a hard one, especially, you know, in our ever increasing uh, complex, you know, the technologies that we live in the the work work life balance it's amazing all all that most of us take on but keep making it simpler i think is the you know the aspiration and some tools to cut through to cut through all that um, complexity and to keep coming back to i think what what really matters what's what's re- what's really important and I think part of that is realizing that um, that life really is short and it's how, it's how you can take that, that kind of throw away, you know, phrase that, that life is short and to, and to realize it it's, it actually applies to, to me too, it applies to all of us and that we uh, that we literally are here for a short time and to, and to live that way, and to act that way, and it takes takes a kind of um, courage and focus, I think.
0: And so, to not waste that precious time.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. And To
0: keep things simpler, it reminds me of. I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, Stanford has a well MD. Um, Institute. And they have a, a wheel that they talk about uh, what the the professional fulfillment needed for physicians um, through a lot of research. And one is um, efficiency of practice. And that reminds me of what you're saying a little bit about, you know, keeping it simple and, and helping people find um, the less frustrating and the simplest and most effective ways of doing things too. Is that, am I extrapolating too much or do you think there's a connection there?
1: No, definitely, definitely a connection for sure. Okay,
0: great. Um, and then I, I was just curious, uh, Mark, when you're working with um, organizations and you're seeing them go through the practice of them becoming more mindful, are there points along the way that you see, you know, pain points for organizations, or, um, you know, how does an organization best position itself for success if they want? for you know say a team of, of, of physicians or surgeons to become more mindful, what might happen that could derail um or what what could happen that would actually push it towards success?
1: Yeah. So I think it's I think it's um uh you know my my book um Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader starts with this somewhat famous Peter Drucker quote, right? That's that uh culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I think I think in part, a, a good starting place for any team is talk actually talking about what kind of culture do we want? even you know that, that every team has its culture. How, how do how do we how, how, what is our culture like right now? Like like is there uh, how would we measure how much trust and connection is there? Uh, How effective are our meetings and, and, um, and conversations? How much are we avoiding? How much are we feeling safe enough to talk about the difficult stuff? And, and, and that's just, I think a really good starting place. And then to have the conversations about what do we want our culture to be and what are some of the steps, uh, actions that we might take to kind of shift that culture and how would we know, how would we sort of have a sense right. of uh, aspirational, but also a way to, uh, to measure things along the way, you know, and there's um, there's lots of great uh, what I think of as uh ahas along, along the way. I mean, a typical one is, um, you know, it's easy, it's easy to be, um, it's easy to be cynical when it comes to changes in cultures and change. Another one of my favorite quotes, and this one, this one might actually be one of mine. I'm not sure if I heard this somewhere else or if I said this, which is that um, if you're not building trust, you are building cynicism. Mm -hmm. And cynicism is really easy, really easy, um, especially amongst smart high-powered people and teams um, that and and cynicism is like the like the opposite of really caring really mm. caring so um I think in some way this is a, a core part of this path of uh, teams teams or organizations becoming more effective more connected, working with more, uh, it's interesting too, to me, I think more and more, there's more evidence that the, the, the relationship between bringing humanity into organizations and effectiveness. I think there's this underlying old school belief that humanity is somehow the opposite of effectiveness, right? We've got, we have work to do, right? what do you mean? What do you mean humanity? Well, there's something about if I, if I think when we are more, I mean, partly I think this, one of the things that happened at Google is that people noticed that the more aware, the better listeners, the more people cared, teams were more effective. Teams Mm. became teams of people became more effective and almost everything that happens at Google or any other workplace is happening in with teams of people.
0: Interesting, yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And when you when you talked about um, cynicism, and you know before you were talking about uh, a toxic work environment, it seems like cynicism would be one of the foundational things that would breed that toxic work environment.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and um, I think some people would argue, you know, that it's the other way around. It's that toxic work environment that made me cynical. Uh, Yes. Right. But I think, but I think overall it's, it's, it's this, um, you know, I think one of the things that I said right at the beginning of this conversation in talking about, in talking about mindfulness practice and listening is suspending what we think we know. And that means what that means in practice is that we stop assuming that we know other people who we work with, or that, oh, they always say it like this, or they always respond this way. why? Why would I listen to this person? they I, I already know what they're going to say. I know their position on things. So it's interesting uh, that that the practice and courage that it takes to to be a little bit more that those kinds of assumptions and that kind of knowing is what. Starts to create those those more cynical relationships and environments and 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 cultures.
0: Absolutely. So as we close today, since this um, this series is on wellness um, and uh, physician wellness for you know the surgeons that are listening around the world, how would you um, suggest that they put mindfulness or emotional intelligence or any of this into practice for their own sense of well being?
1: Well, I have a strong bias about the um, importance of having a meditation practice. So, the, the the thing about this work is that it's more than just an idea; it's actually something that that I think needs to be embodied. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, and I keep going back and forth. I think about the the embodiment piece of it, and then there's the practice or the you know, put, putting this into practice is around, is around, you know, interpersonal relationships and communication. But I think it, it starts the found, the foundation is self-awareness. The foundation is to Im- embody, you know, our own, um, uh, emotional, emotional lives. And, uh, and I think, um, Having some kind of a daily practice, even if it's even if it's for a few minutes a day, uh, and and I think it is about sitting and stopping. Uh, I often hear, "Well, I go for walks or I ride my bike." Yeah, that's great. I love walks. I love bicycle riding. <laughs> but there's something about doing nothing. Literally, it's hard. And 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 but I think and and I and I strongly recommend. Uh, having meditating with others, and these days, now that we're all uh, our lives are, are we 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 we've, we've seen the possibilities of what we can do virtually. Um, I I I sit with a group of others in the morning, uh, often, and I I have a weekly sitting group myself that where a group of people come together and sit together. So, have some kind of a meditation practice and. Um, and make, and make time to do some retreats. I know this may sound utterly impossible to some ears, but I think it's essential that, you know, that people take, take days now and then, and, and every once in a while to take five days or a week to do a meditation retreat can be, can be utterly, utterly life-changing, transformative, I think.
0: So you had mentioned, um, just a few minutes ago that you don't have to dedicate a lot of time. And I'm just thinking about the people on the call that, you know, and it's a practice, right? So you start and you, you can never get good enough or too good. So um, what would be, could someone start a meditation practice in five minutes a day? Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They could start. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, regularity is more important than, than length of time. Yeah. And I would say it's, it's better. It's without a doubt, it's better to start with five minutes a day than not at all. Uh,
0: Absolutely.
1: And, and, you know, I often compare it to, um, I, I don't know of anybody who says they don't have time to brush their teeth in the morning. So to me, it's approaching this practice as it's kind of like brushing your mind, you know, that, that you have a daily, Again, maybe it's three minutes, um, uh, but whatever it is that it's a daily, it's a daily practice of stopping, noticing what you're feeling, noticing that, that you're breathing. Um, and in some way, it's the practice of um, you know, having some space where you don't have to accomplish anything or be, or be, or need to change anything. So it's interesting to me, it's, there's some motivation that gets you to do this practice, right? You want to you want to have a better relationship with stress or whatever it might be. But then once you stop, there's nothing, there's nothing, you don't need to be good at it. You 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 kind of maybe notice this constant wanting to be good. I'm gonna be the best, and it's like and and smile at it and let it go. It's like, no, I'm just Wow. What what is this? What is this breath? What is this body? What is it like? To, what does it feel like to not need anything, to not need to be anything other than right here, right now?
0: Great. Thank you so much. Very wise words. And I, I love that um, this is some really practical advice, not to mention that there's so many um, mental health and physical benefits to meditation um, as it have been proven over time. So thank you so much for your time today, Mark Lesser. Really appreciate your wisdom as always, and appreciate you being part of the
1: podcast series. Thank you, Deborah.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the IAOMS podcast series. IAOMS members receive additional benefits such as access to the iJOMS, educational resources, reduced rates for conferences, and more. To join or renew your membership, please visit www.iaoms.org. Keep up to date with our weekly podcast by following IAOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news. See you next week.